Hello fellow Kentuckians and other friends and welcome to a new edition of my old Kentucky podcast. My name is Robert Connie and joining me as always is Jasmine Smith. Jasmine, how are you today? I'm doing well, Robert. How are you? I am doing all right. So today on the show, we have a couple of segments. So first of all, Jasmine's going to take us through the ad wars going on in the Kentucky governor's race with uh, two candidates that have raised quite a bit of money. Both of them are on the air, both with uh, their own campaigns ads and some other ads with you know other groups. And Jasmine's going to take us through uh, some of those ads and you know what we think about them. Uh, and then and then I'm going to do a bit of a deep dive into the Louisville merger. Uh, analysis that was, uh, you know, done recently by a group of group of folks in, in Louisville after uh, after a bill passed in the state legislature. So uh, that's something that's kind of flown under the radar a little bit here in, in Louisville and in Kentucky. Um, but we're going to talk a lot about it. So want to get to that for sure. So without any further ado, Jasmine, tell us about these ad wars. Okay, so I I think like there's a few recent like themes and ads that um, I wanted to like highlight. And I think the first one and the most recent one is abortion. And last week, the Bashir campaign um, put out an ad that tells Hadley's story. And so this is an ad with a girl named Hadley who was raped by her stepfather when she was 12 after years of sexual abuse. And she says that she is speaking out because women and girls need to have options and Daniel Cameron would give us none. Um, And so this is a pretty short ad and it, it just features Hadley sitting and talking and she says that she's speaking to Daniel Cameron and and it's a really powerful ad and I think it, it's really brave for someone as young as Hadley to to step up and and do something like that you know in front of the whole state um and so that's kind of the the latest Andy Bashir ad about abortion. So, I mean, what did you think about this ad, Robert? Yeah, I mean, I think it was a really powerful ad. I, I mean, I just think, you know, people know our story and you, you probably know that we've cut ads about this kind of thing that that's happened to us in the past. And like, you know, when you do these ads, you basically have to like relive a really traumatic experience in your life. It takes a lot of bravery and, you know, me and my wife, we're, we're old, we're, we're, it's, it, a lot of stuff has happened to us. We're, We've been through a lot or whatever in life. And, and she's a really young person who's been through a lot in her young life and has decided to speak out. So I just was really impressed by by Hadley's bravery and being willing to share this and, 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 and make it about, you know, the, the, the government, make it about politics. Uh, you know, politics are how these decisions get made. If you really believe in it, that's the vector you have to, you know, press on to to make a difference but of course like people are are gonna say stuff about you and and you know coming forward with your trauma like that and being willing to like experience stuff like that is really brave so first of all for her just very very impressed um and it is just a really powerful ad you know daniel cameron had to react to it he did like a whole video on his his like twitter like basically decrying the ad uh decrying andy Bashir, uh even though like everything that he said is absolutely true like there's no no lies in in the ad whatsoever Daniel Cameron is like, I changed my position yesterday. So why did you release this ad? Like, it was just a really bad response. I felt like, um, but yeah, I, I, this is very clearly like the most powerful ad of the the campaign so far. And, and I just really couldn't be more impressed with Hadley uh, and her willingness to share. Yeah, and so a few weeks before Hadley's story came out, 
Um, there was another abortion ad from the Bashir campaign that featured a prosecutor, Aaron White, who is a county attorney in Louisville. Um, in her ad, she talks about the trauma of becoming pregnant by one's rapist um, and how Daniel Cameron has extreme and dangerous views on abortion. And, and I think this ad may speak to a lot of people as well, because, um, you know, a lot of people, even, even Democrats, you know, take a, a pretty like tough on crime stance. And most people can agree that we want to support victims. Um, and a prosecutor who has worked as um, a sex crimes and domestic violence prosecutor, you know, talking about Daniel Cameron having extreme and dangerous views on abortion. Um, I think that that's something that can speak to both Democrats and Republicans. And, and I also think um, it, it's a pretty big deal for a prosecutor to be in an Andy Bashir ad as well, even though, you know, a lot of prosecutors are Democrats, especially in Louisville and Andy Bashir was a prosecutor himself. He was the attorney general. Um, you know, when you're a prosecutor, you're working with a lot of police officers, sheriffs, law enforcement. And so, um, you know, by agreeing to be in a, an Andy Bashir ad, she was really putting her name out there. Um, and so I also give Aaron White props for, for doing that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, like you said, she, she works in Louisville. And, I, you know, I wouldn't be surprised to see the majority of police officers, sheriffs, et cetera, that work in Jefferson County also supporting Andy Bashir. But, yeah, your point is well taken. Um, uh, I, I, don't, I don't think that's true. I think that's true of prosecutors. I don't think that's true of law enforcement. Yeah. Okay. Uh, at all here yeah well you would know better than me probably so uh you know uh dev i would say probably the ratio is closer in louisville than it is in other parts of the state i don't know maybe not i don't know that's a uh, probably something to be worthwhile to think about but uh but yeah um no aaron white definitely stepping out and also just talking about abortion in general is always just a hard subject uh, being coming forward with that like this is the biggest hot button uh issue in in you know the country and and you know andy bashir is really hammering this issue hard which i think is you know i think it's taken a lot of people by surprise you know people think it's like him taking a big risk and what it says to me is like you know this is an issue that because of how far it has swung in our culture like it's a winning issue for Democrats, even in Kentucky. So you know the the Republican Party, especially in Kentucky, has staked out this like no exceptions, no excuses, no abortion ever stance, and and that's just not comporting with people. And and I think that Andy Bashir has noticed that and has released multiple ads on abortion, uh, which I did not expect to happen at the beginning of this campaign. But uh, here we are, uh, and it may not even be the last one. So definitely interesting. Yeah, I think we never would have seen ads like this in 2019. I rem I think I remember Andy Bashir in maybe a primary debate saying that he was pro-choice um or or something something like that. Um but it otherwise it was pretty much not talked about. Yeah. Um it you know, Andy Bashir has been pretty clearly pro you know, pro-abortion rights his entire career, um, but has been, you know, they, they have kind of shied away from the issue as much as possible in general elections, um, both of the times that he's run, first for attorney general and secondly for 
for governor. And, and the same with Steve Bashir. Steve Bashir was certainly a, you know, a pro-abortion rights governor, uh, but literally never talked about it at all if he could get away with it. Um, and, and, you know, it is it, it was something it is something that they, you know, did not shy away from, but also didn't talk about publicly. And that ha- that's the thing that's really changed is instead of like shirking away from it, it is like they're running towards it. And, and you know, Andy Bashir can say I have been very clearly and very adamantly pro-abortion rights my entire political career, um, even though he hasn't necessarily wanted to talk about it so closely. It was a, if you remember, it was a pretty big issue in the 2019 primary um, between mm-hmm. him and Adam Edelin and and then Rocky Atkins on the the anti-abortion rights yeah. side. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I think the reversal of Roe and then um, the vote on the constitutional amendment, you know, I think really showed people how it can be a winning issue for Democrats. And, and that's why we're seeing ads about this now. Um, but then, then on the other side, you already mentioned this, Robert. Um, so we'll go ahead and talk about it. Cameron has now done a, a video statement. I guess you wouldn't call this an ad, but I, I don't know if it's airing anywhere, but I've seen it all over social media and online. Um, but Cameron did a video statement where he says that Andy Bashir is running um, the most like despicable and extremist campaign in history, essentially. Um, he says that the Bashir campaign is making false attacks because he has said that if the legislature brings him a bill with exceptions, he would sign it. The first time he had said that, that, that I have heard um, was we just talked about that last week on the show. And I'm sure that um, the Hadley story ad was already made at that point. Absolutely. Yeah, it definitely was. <laughs> Um, and then he, Cameron goes on to say that Bashir supports abortion until the ninth month. Um, I, I'm not sure like where the citation for that is. Um, and he supports, he says he supports the policies of North Korea and China and uh, mentions Andy Bashir's veto of the born alive bill, which I, I think is, is something that Republicans often use, you know, like just to like, inflame people's sensibilities because it just sounds bad um even though it's not like a thing that happens um and then he he kind of ends with he's vetoed all the pro-life bills because planned parenthood and joe biden told him to um so it's just like buzz words it's like ninth month born alive planned parenthood joe biden and it's just really it's really it's just really gross like it's just very gross that that daniel cameron comes up and is like andy Bashir is running a despicable and extremist campaign against me because i changed my position last week and then goes on to just make despicable and extremist you know arguments which is like andy Bashir supports abortion until the ninth month which like what does that even mean you know, anybody that supports late-term abortion, the, the only time that that issue ever really comes up is in, like, the extreme tragedy-type situation or, like, to protect the life mm-hmm. of a mother or, like, you know, something really, really bad has happened. That's when ninth-month abortions are necessary. Um, and, and, and making it into, like, no, there's just this woman got cold feet about having a baby. That's just not how that works. 
ever. Uh, and, and it's just, you know, that's that's a lie and he's making it out to be like that's how it happens and then to bring in north korea and china which is just really weird i don't really even know i guess they have very um uh i guess they're having like they have very like liberal abortion stances or you can get abortions really easily in those places i i don't know i don't know what that means yeah i don't i don't even know and then like the idea of china are also just like buzzwords yeah yeah absolutely and then being like pan pamphlet and joe biden told him like i imagine like joe biden calling up andy andy Andy, Andy, i'm gonna need you to be so these bills (laughs) yeah i don't know there was it it, and like the the way in which daniel cameron is having to like thread the needle of being like i said i would sign the bill if it came to me but I don't, so I like, I support the law as it's written, but if the bill comes to me, I'll sign it, which is like, you know, I guess a way that it can be true, but, but it just does, doesn't make any sense. And, and people are just going to laugh at him and, and are, are laughing at him. It's like very clearly this ad had a huge impact on his campaign. Um, and he felt compelled to make this nonsensical video statement about it. So yeah, that was, that was a weird moment. Yeah, and and so the abortion thing is kind of the biggest thing that I wanted to talk about. But a couple other ads, um, Andy Bashir has done these like short sixteen second sports betting ads, um, and he he kind of has one I think for different regions. Like you no longer have to do this in Ohio. You no longer have to do this in West Virginia. Um, you no longer have to go to Tennessee or whatever. Um, and then it says that Andy Bashir led the charge to keep Kentucky competitive and don't bet against Andy Bashir. Um, so I don't know, Robert, do you think that like these sports betting ads are effective and like, how do you feel about Bashir taking, taking credit for, sports betting that was passed this year you know uh i i've I've had a lot of thoughts about it right because like the legislature had to pass it but at the same time andy bajir has been like a clear supporter of the bill clear supporter of sports betting for much longer than the legislature has Mm -hmm. um and yeah i mean i think it's fair to say he led the charge i think that that's totally fair this issue was on the table because democrats pushed for it um, and, and, yeah. and was, we're, you know, unlike a lot of other bills, we're able to actually build like a ground level consensus where like Republicans couldn't really ignore it. And, and even though Republicans are definitely responsible for delivering the votes to get it done, like I don't think it would have been on the table if not for Andy Bashir and, and other Democrats really pushing for it. So I, th- I think that that's fair, even though Republicans are going to cry foul for sure. Yeah. And and I don't think it would have been on the table if not for like Andy Bashir running for re-election either you know I think that getting sports betting and medical marijuana happened because they were popular policies and it there there's a gubernatorial race <laughs> yep mm-hmm uh, yeah, yeah. And, and, I mean, that was also kind of a thing whenever it was uh, when they passed the bill, people were like, oh, yeah, no, they're not going to pass it this year because they don't want to give it to Andy Bashir as a campaign thing. And like that was when when it passed, I think a lot of people were surprised because um, they didn't think that that was something that like they knew that Andy Bashir was going to use this in his campaign. So, I mean, I think it's totally fair. It's like, you know, it did happen. So, you know, definitely you have you. Yeah. Uh, it starts on Thursday, right? Uh, sports gambling, online sports betting. Mm-hmm. You, uh, you de- have you decided what your first bet's going to be, Jasmine? No, I haven't really thought about it. Probably, I don't know. Maybe some kind of NFL parlay for the weekend. I'm pushing. I'm pushing the Dolphins. Dolphins are an underdog against the Bills, so that's my pick. 
Seventy right, seventy like points. They put seventy points up on Sunday. Yeah, they did. They did. Do that. <laughs> All right, let's keep going. All right. So speaking of football, um, Daniel Cameron has a football ad where um, he's on the football field and he talks about his hard work as a walk on and as a college football player. Um, and then he goes on to say they have like Andy Bashir's like faded photo, like on the bleachers. Um, and he goes on to say Andy Bashir failed us because he locked our schools and unlocked our jails. Um, with, you know, with no context that there was a, a pandemic or anything going on at the time, but, um, anyways, and so then the ad ends, um, he's on the field, like kneeling with a football and then his kid who's like, you know, cute and toddler age kid is at cute. the end. Um, and he says, let's go win this thing. Um, and so Robert, you and I saw this ad together, um, for the first time what did you think about this one it, you know i i mean yeah I, I i think it's a good ad like i do think it's a good yeah. ad. i think it, it works it gets its point across it is dishonest whatever every political ad on some level is got shades <laughs> of the truth like you know yeah. andy Bashir did not put in his sports betting ad uh the the republicans had to deliver the votes and and you know uh daniel right. cameron did not put in he unlocked the jails and locked the schools because of a pandemic i it is kind of implied people know that that happened um mm -hmm. i do think that this you know it's a bright ad it shows daniel cameron's he's daniel cameron's got a great smile you know he's a very charismatic looking guy uh, his kid is super cute so i mean i think of all the ads he's released this is by far my favorite or one that i think is yeah. the most effective yeah and and that's what I said, like when we saw it as well, I think this is definitely his best ad. And it's the only one that like maybe shows like any like some flashes of personality. And, and a lot of the ads, he's pretty serious. And this one, he's smiling and showing off his cute kid and everything. And he's like, hey, I'm a sports guy. I played football. Um, and so I... I agree. I think that this is probably Cameron's best ad that he's aired. Um, but then another ad, this is, I think, the newest Cameron one that is on TV, I think, um, is an education ad. Um, and in this one, he's walking through a school and talking about how Bashir closed schools and how children haven't recovered. And, you know, I... I don't think that's wrong that the children haven't recovered from the pandemic. I, you know, I, I think that there's truth in that. Um, but I also think that, you know, our, our legislature hasn't necessarily like done anything to alleviate that or, or help that situation. <laughs> um, but the, so the ad contains a QR code, for the Cameron catch-up plan. Um, he also mentions that he's the husband of a teacher in the ad. Um, I'm pretty sure that his his wife no longer teaches either. I don't know that for I a fact, be, but I do think that that's right, yeah. yeah. Um, but I, yeah. I could be wrong about that. But um, so, th so this is basically how, like, Children are failing in school under Andy Bashir's watch yeah. and Daniel Cameron is going to get them caught up. Um, and I, I do think that, I don't know. I do think these education 
ads could resonate with people because I do think it's true that children haven't recovered from the pandemic, but I kind of think that's a universal thing and not necessarily like just a problem in Kentucky. And, and I don't, I don't think it's the fault of the governor who's had his hands tied from doing anything with education. Um, I, I think this ad would be a lot more effective if it wasn't like really clear that schools are working hard to catch kids back up. Right. I mean, I don't think anybody acknowledges that the problem doesn't exist, but I mean, there are efforts underway to catch kids up. And I mean, everybody kind of acknowledged that it was going to be a hard thing to do. I, I don't think that anybody's really shying away from that as a reality. And I mean, and we, we went through Andy Bashir versus Daniel Cameron's education plan. And I, I don't think that Daniel Cameron's going to beat Andy Bashir on the education issue. Um, I think Republicans really want to. I think they they really do believe in their education policies, but it, it is like one spot where they are like I think uh, they they are not in 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 like the public's favor. But they're going to push it, so that is what it is. Um, and Jasmine, you 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 pulled all of the Andy Bashir ads from his YouTube channel, and I see that he does not have that listed. But I actually did see another Andy Bashir education ad. Uh, it features a friend of mine. I didn't even realize she was going to be in this ad, but it's about public schools as well, uh, and it's about Daniel Cameron's education plan and how it takes money away from public schools and gives it to private schools, um, which is another uh, you know thing that is 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 not it it lacks some context but is still true Mm -hmm. um and and it does talk about like the power and importance of public schools and i think that that's something that resonates really well so that's kind of andy bashir's education ad um that has not yet made its way to his youtube channel yeah Uh, so (laughs) so i did see that though um so this is another issue just like how you know andy bashir has these couple of abortion ads and, and daniel cameron responded with that this video statement daniel cameron has an education ad and andy bashir is also have on the air now with an education ad as well so so those are kind of the issues i do think that we're, we're fighting about uh, over this this campaign yeah and you know the the ones that i talked about today are mostly just the most recent ads but throughout the campaign we've had some other ones too like both campaigns had pro law enforcement ads. Yeah. Um, both both campaigns have had like faith ads about faith mm-hmm. and, yep. and things like that. And so those are some of the other things um, that they've kind of gone back and forth on. And I mean, overall, do you think that you know they both had like strong ads in the campaign, or is someone winning? Um, I think that the quality of the ads across the campaign have been strong. And I mean, people know how to make political ads this this day and age. Yeah. Um, we, we talked recently on a, on a recent show just about how like these first party ads that are coming directly from the campaign are just like significantly higher quality than the independent expenditure ads uh, that go on the air that are like Andy Bashir wants to turn all kids trans or like it, right. And so I didn't even talk about right. yeah those and, because and, I think we know the difference. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think that those are low quality. I don't think that those are really going to move the needle very much. I do think that these first party ads are the ones that are. Uh, likely to make a difference and and the quality of the ads is pretty good across the board the difference is that andy Bashir is on the air with a lot more ads and, and daniel cameron is is struggling like, you know we talked about the fundraising from uh the 60 day prior reports and you know andy Bashir's ad buy that he had on the days right before the the you know the report was due was larger than daniel cameron's entire fundraising 
all of the money that he raised was less than Andy Bashir's single ad buy. So Andy Bashir's mm-hmm. just going to be on the air a lot more, you yeah. know, if 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 the, these trends remain than Daniel Cameron. So so I just think like we will probably see a lot more of Andy Bashir's high quality ads than Daniel Cameron's, even though Daniel Cameron's are you know pretty good. So that's kind of how I feel about it. Yeah, that, and that's what I was going to say, too. I, I think they both had good ads. I think some of Andy's are usually, like, shorter and a little quippier than than Daniel Cameron's. Um, but we're just going to see him a lot more. And, and I've already seen him a lot more up, up until now. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so that that's a little bit about... Um, the ad wars in the governor's race yeah absolutely uh it's gonna get worse they're gonna be more it's gonna be crazy here in october as it always is uh whenever there's a competitive election all right jasmine let's change gears and talk a little bit about this merger analysis that was published by this group um okay so you know Ever since Republicans went into the majority in Frankfurt, there have been a lot of bills that have been filed to mess with Louisville's merger. Uh, Louisville's merger, of course, was approved by voters in 2000. This was like the third or fourth try that Louisville had put forth to merge with Jefferson County. It finally passed. Jerry Abramson became the first Louisville Metro mayor. We've now been merged since, you know, 2002, I think, is when we first finally completed it. But in 2022, the legislature passed HB 314, a bill that did a bunch of different things. First of all, it restricted the mayor to two terms. It allowed for the creation of smaller cities within Jefferson County. I don't think any have have taken up that offer yet, although I did see recently that Lake Forest and Eastern Louisville was looking at doing that. Um, and it also created the, the bill HB 314 created the Louisville Metro Comprehensive Review Commission a body which recently published a document about Louisville and Jefferson County's merger. So that's what we want to talk about today. So this document that was published included 20 different recommendations, many of which are very much in the weeds. Uh, Like, for example, the first one is a recommendation about the Kentucky Transportation Cabinet's backlogs and different strategies for changing the state's transportation funding model. Um, So, you know, I was like, wow, this is... This is details. This is like the, the, the nitty gritty of how mobile roads get paved, um, you know, but there were uh, several recommendations that were more simple than that and that would significantly alter governance in Jefferson County and Louisville. The biggest and simplest of them is to make elections to Louisville Metro Council and mayor nonpartisan. That would bring Louisville in line with Lexington. Lexington does not have partisan elections to those offices, um, but it would be a big change. That would be a very substantial change. You know, Louisville's uh, Louisville's mayor and, and the council have been partisan elections for a very, very long time. Um, and, and, you know, they, that is that would be a big change. Another recommendation calls for diversity in board appointments. Uh, the text of this recommendation is about, like, how – population has shifted in the county and and much of the reporting about this recommendation in the media has made it seem as though the recommendation is about geographic diversity and and i think that that's probably true but i'm going to read the wording just to give you a sense of how like that's a little confusing so here's the quote the commission recognizes that louisville metro is a large and diverse community with varied interest furthermore the commission recognizes that there have been and continue to be population shifts and trends that have not been accounted for To that end, the commission recommends that all boards and commissions throughout the state have diversity of members as defined in KRS 67C.1391A 
Provided, however, that if diversity cannot be achieved, the appointing authority shall document and make public the efforts taken to achieve the required diversity and its inability to do so before pr- proceeding to appoint an otherwise qualified candidate, unquote. So, like, that talk about diversity, I guess, is about, like, making sure people from the east and south ends make it onto boards. But it also could be read to be like, okay, we need more racial diversity or we need more political diversity or what? I don't mm-hmm. I don't know. It's a little bit unclear. The reporting is like, oh, yeah, this is about the suburbs getting more people into boards uh, than people in the urban areas. Um, and given the discussions that the board has had, and we'll get into those, uh, that makes sense. But it's not really clear just from the pure text of the recommendation. So it's kind of kind of a weird one for sure. Um, there were a couple of good parts of, of the recommendations. The one called for more housing through tax incentives. I think that's commendable. And another is that they rec- recommended calling for a constitutional amendment which would allow Louisville to levy different types of taxes, diverse- diversifying the city's tax structure, which I think would be a very good thing. Uh, a lot of people have pushed for that. Different kinds of, you know, we have like an insurance tax and a payroll tax. Uh, you know, having a small sales tax or maybe a uh, like on limited items or, or a different kind of income tax or different sorts of taxes that Louisville would be able to levy would really diversify Louisville's income and also make for, you know, just generally more revenue that would be possible to get and also diversified revenue, which would be a, a good thing. And that's the, the commission did call for that. However, a large number of the recommendations were about the relationship between Metro Louisville and the suburbs. I think that that is really the heart of this entire report. So one of the recommendations called for Louisville Emergency Medical Services to only service the Urban Services District. So that's the old city of Louisville. That's what we call that now. And um, currently, the situation is that Louisville Metro EMS serves the whole county and the whole county pays for it. However, Several small cities fund their own additional emergency and fire services, and proponents of the recommendation that Louisville EMS only serve the Urban Services District say that Louisville Metro EMS doesn't respond to that many calls outside of the Urban Services District, and therefore residents you know, outside in those small cities and in the suburbs are being double taxed. Opponents of this recommendation say that Louisville Metro EMS has not been adequately funded in order to serve the whole county and that better better funding of the existing model would be better and less fractured. So, you know, if we instead of, you know, creating all these different little EMS services that only work in small uh, cities or whatever, if we did our job and funded EMS like it should be funded and, and hired enough people, that would be a better model because it would serve everybody equally and it wouldn't Mm -hmm. duplicate services so that's the argument um you know it's pretty easy to see where i'm going to come down or you know jason nemus the chair of this committee is going to come down Um, but that was a recommendation that was put forward and adapted by the the group Um, i think the strangest recommendation in this moving away from ems the strangest recommendation in the document comes uh involves lmpd the text of the recommendation in the published report changes its font several times, so I don't know if it's like been through a lot of revisions or something, and you know, it's copy and paste. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what's going on. And it, and also, like the entire document is just a big block of like twenty recommendations on three different pages. And this one has a bunch of weird font changes, and then it also has a map of the LMPD divisions just kind of pasted in the middle there. It's the only graphic in the report, and it's not a good graphic. It looks like somebody did like the snipping tool on their computer and like pasted it in there. Because you got like weird borders and some of the grab, it's like very strange that it came in there. The recommendation has a lot of text, 
but it doesn't really give much of a recommendation. I'm also going to read this one in whole so we get a sense of what it says. All right, get ready. Quote, the commission acknowledges that Louisville Metro Police Department services are not adequately provided across the county. The commission understands policing decisions are difficult and complex. For example, in 2022, almost half of violent crimes occurred in just a few divisions, one, two, and four. These same divisions had 59% of the homicides and 73% of the non-fatal shootings. However, large areas of the county are underserved. There is one LMPD officer for every 2,887 residents in Division 8, one LMPD officer for every 1,051 residents in Division 3, while there is one LMPD officer for every 374 residents in Division 1. The commission acknowledges that many of these underserved areas have contracted with other police departments or with off-duty police officers to provide police services. Other underserved areas have created additional police departments to provide policing services. The commission calls on Metro government working together with suburban police departments to evaluate and recommend crime prevention services, which provide adequate policing across the entire county, unquote. So, there's a lot of facts about crime in the core city and the ratio of you know people to police officers, etc. Um, the recommendation, though, is evaluate and recommend crime prevention services to provide adequate policing across the entire county. Unquote. So that that's not really much of a recommendation. They're not like recommending anything besides another yeah, study. Yeah, not, not very specific. Yeah. Yeah. Have some conversations. Work together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I do think that there is an important conversation about what adequate policing actually means. And yeah. I do believe that most people in Louisville are eager to have that conversation in all of the divisions in the whole city. However, the, the report does not even seem to contemplate the idea that people in divisions one, two, and four, like the down, the, the divisions in the old city, um, would say that they're over-policed, which I think most of the people who live in those areas would say, we're over-policed. Um, and, and they're like, wow, look at the level of service that they're getting. Isn't that great for the people there? Um, which is just not the reality that the people who live in those divisions that I've heard talk have to say about the police. Um, so it's just a really weird, like, I don't, do you want that many police officers in, in your communities? Is that what you, do you want, like, you know, that sort of policing to take place in, like, around your kids? Like, I, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, it, it, it is just kind of a strange a strange conversation that they were having uh, about I, these recommendations. I apparently live in the in the most underserved one. There you go. There are a lot of like small, and I mean, one of the things no, that is yeah, true there, is there are police cruisers everywhere where I live because we have like Graymore, Devondale, Linden Police, the U of L Shelby Campus Police, like. Yeah. And LMPD. Sometimes St. Matthews is over here too. It's there's so, a lot. You know, and, and I do think like if we were to do a full merger, which is something that I think would be a good idea, and get rid of all of the small community police departments that don't often have the same sort of requirements around body cameras, around um, you know, PI like uh, the 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 ethics of of lmpd yeah the piu stuff um they don't always have all of those if we put the entire city under those department's rules i think that would be a better thing for everybody Uh, we wouldn't have these sorts of problems but that doesn't seem to be the reality that the commission is trying to get towards 
So those are just some of the recommendations. Some of the uh, some of the ones I you know think are a good idea. Some that I think are kind of confusing, um, and some of the ones that are you know pushing towards more power in the suburbs. So moving on a little bit, the data underpinning the report has be become extremely controversial. So reporting from Louisville Public Media named UofL economist Paul Coombs and geographer Matthew Rufer as the providers of the data. And, and you know, I have watched a few of the live streams about of some of these meetings. And, and yes, that is those were the people who provided that data. Um, you know, LPM's article about this merger document repeats Coombs and Rufer's analysis that says that 75% of Louisville Metro's revenue comes from citizens living outside of the Urban Services District, and that citizens outside the core city generate three times the tax revenue of Urban Service District or residents. The, that analysis that, you know, the people outside of the core city provide so much more of the revenue uh, and, and are, you know, providing a, a, a multiple uh, more, the, like the areas providing a multiple more of the services inside of the urban services district provided nearly all of the justification needed for the recommendations about the relationship between the city and the suburbs. However, big however, the analysis has been questioned at length from some of the data professionals that I respect the most. Michael Schnurla, who is my friend, he, he, you know, I don't want to make any bones about this. He's a listener to the show. He's been a supporter of the show on Patreon in the past. He's somebody that we know. I don't know if you know, know him that well, Jasmine, but like he's a friend of mine. I don't want to like uh, shy away from that at all. Um, he was also the Louisville Metro chief data officer for four years from 2016 to 2020. He really tore into this report. Um, he he says uh, that the Coombs and Roofer analysis only counts the sums of revenue from suburban areas versus urban re- residents. Um, and, and, you know, he Schnurla calls that into question because obviously the unincorporated and suburban cities are going to generate more money in total because there's more people that live in that area. The Urban Services District is a very small portion of Jefferson County, and most of the people who live in Jefferson County live in the outlying areas. Schnurla then looks at the data on a per person basis, so per capita, uh, that shows a much more equitable. So, like that three times the tax revenue of USD residents, and you know, seventy-five uh, percent of the revenue comes from citizens living outside of the urban services district. When you actually put that on a per person level. Um, it, it shows a much more equitable amount of revenue between urban and suburban re- residents. It's pretty even in terms of the amount of money that they generate per person. And then Shirley goes on to look at the, the data on a per square mile basis. So the, the core city, the urban services district, is significantly more dense. There's a lot of people in a small area. And the outlying areas, even though they have a lot more people, have a lot more land. And if you look at it on a per square mile basis, urban residents generate significantly more money money than the suburban residents when you look at it on a per square mile basis. So really it matters how you're looking at this data. um, and, And there's also ways to look at it that are different than just looking at the total sum. Another big point that Schnurla makes is about the cost of services. It's a well-researched fact that denser neighborhoods are cheaper to serve for the government. Sprawl is really expensive for things like sewer lines, for sidewalks, for lighting, for roads. You know, just to get out to further outlying areas, it's more expensive to build that stuff out there. One analysis presented by Schnurla said that suburban households cost 144% more than urban households to serve, or about $2,000 if you want just a dollar figure. The cost side of the equation, you know, saying like these uh, 
suburban people generate more revenue, but the cost side of the equation was not taken into account by Coombs and Roofer at all. So, you know, big, big questions about the underlying data that formed this report. Schnurla did ask Dr. Coombs about the analysis, and he shared with me some of the correspondence. So this is a quote. I believe that this is too complicated to reserve on the commission's to resolve on the commission's timetable and hope that everyone accepts that and moves on. If it becomes a big issue, it sounds like another major research project to me. My sense is that the commission does not have the time and resources to resolve this issue in time for their planned September wrap up. The issues of usage and beneficiaries are deep and detailed data are not readily available, not readily available in any case, unquote. So basically, Coombs acknowledges that there are major issues with the data, but says there really isn't any time to deal with them. So we just need to move on. Um, not great. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> so, you know, I, I do think that this was an effective analysis by Michael Schnurla. Um, he presented a lot of the research to me. He's on Twitter, uh, you know, X. His name is Michael Mobility on there. He has a couple of really good videos about this. I really recommend people look him up and, and watch those if you're interested in it. Um, but he's not the only person who did a lot of this work. Um, I have to acknowledge Pat Smith, who was on the show once, like, seven years ago or something and then also sarah <laughs> fisher um they also the the two of them did a lot of the work to call the report into question so i want to make sure that we acknowledge their work as well so what do we have here at the end we have a lot of recommendations that don't say much like they danced around stuff with the lmpd thing um they danced around stuff with that like board recommendation thing but there are some concrete proposals that would really change things you know the nonpartisan elections would be a big deal more housing and a better tax structure that would be good too however i really think that the report wants to be about how fat and happy the core city is while the suburbs are barren and underserved uh, you know, while the EMS recommendation does call for a ma major change around that issue, the police recommendation doesn't say that much. And I also think that the core data um, also has some serious issues that call that, you know, reality into question. The lack of Solomon solid recommendations combined with the severe issues with the underlying data mean that this document pretty much is pretty much meaningless to me. Like, I just don't think it means mm -hmm. anything. However, it's not going to be meaningless to the state legislature. I fully expect, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I I fully expect that there will be some kind of bill this year that changes Louisville's Metro Louisville Metro's merged government. Um, what it includes is going to be the real question. I think at minimum there will be a bill about nonpartisan elections. Uh, I I hope it includes those tax incentives and uh, tax structure, uh, you know, items as well as as well as better uh, better housing. The the tax incentives for better housing for more housing. Um, but I will want, be interested to see if the bill that is generated about the Louisville's merger includes that EMS thing, includes something about the police. I, I don't think that the report warrants that. I think that there are enough issues that were brought up here that you know we should just leave that by the wayside. However, you know we're going to see. Uh, it's not outside of the reality that we live in that the um, Louisville Republican Caucus in the state legislature would push for big, big changes, even though the report didn't really warrant that. <sighs> okay, Jasmine, that was a lot. But did you did you learn anything? What was the most interesting thing you thought about that whole thing? Yeah, I did learn a lot. I'm glad that you broke it down for me. I, I thought the, the most interesting thing probably was the the EMS yeah. data because I I guess I didn't 
I guess I knew that EMS served everyone and then small cities funded their own. Um, but I guess I'd never thought about some of like the, the double taxation and um, that there's probably a, a better way to, to do that. <laughs> yeah, a lot of the, I mean, the, I mean, I don't want to pretend like the way that Louisville did merger was perfect or even like close to perfect and, and i know that like michael schnurla pat smith i don't know sarah as well but i i know that they have real issues with the way that merger was done because there are a lot of duplicated services mm-hmm. um you know i think that the hope was that we could like consolidate a lot of services into like one big group but you know right. in order to get it passed into places like jaytown and st matthews that are large you know, large cities inside of Jefferson County, you know, larger than a lot of other cities outside of like, you know, bigger than like Covington in some cases, um, you know, they had to allow them to keep their police officers and keep their EMS and keep their fire departments. Um, you know, the hope is, you know, you only have one group that serves the whole county and they get the bulk of the funding. But what has become the case is, you know, we have pretty dramatically underfunded um, EMS, fire, police, well, I don't know about police, but uh, underfunded a lot of these things and haven't been able to provide services to the entire county when when we should. We should provide better services to the south end. We should provide, you know, Louisville services should be serving the east end instead of these, you know, small uh, differentiated EMS and, and police and fire departments. Um, there should just be one, but that is not the case. Um, that would be the, the piece of merger I would hope we take up. But of course, because Republicans are in control, they want to go the other direction, reduce the places where Louisville services are actually able to take place and allow for more small fractured services to take hold. That's a different, it's an ideological difference, but they are in control. And I think that they are likely to push forward with that idea, even though their report doesn't warrant it. Yeah. Well, Jasmine, thanks for listening to all that. I'm glad that you found some of it interesting. I'm glad that you listened to it. Uh, All right. Well, uh, that's it for the show this week. Jasmine, how can people get a hold of us? They can find us on Twitter and Instagram at my old Pod. They can like our Facebook page and listen to our podcast on the podcast app of their choice. We also have a newsletter you can subscribe to at tinyletter.com slash my old Kentucky newsletter. And we have a Patreon page where you can support what we are doing, like reading commission reports and watching <laughs> campaign ads. Um, you can do that at patreon.com slash my old Kentucky podcast. And last but not least, we're part of the Dimcast Network and the Forward Kentucky Network. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening, and we will see you next week.